Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. I am joined now with our guest preacher, Dr. Chris McKinney, and we're going to sit and talk a little bit about the sermon, talk a little bit about your life and work in archaeological studies. We're grateful to have you join us on this podcast, Chris. Aiden, thanks so much. It was a real pleasure to talk about stuff that I just absolutely love to study and investigate and expose people to for the first time this you know, this background stuff mm. that's just so Absolutely. interesting to me personally so it's fun to share well we are we're grateful to have you i know our church was delighted to hear something about things that they haven't really had a lot of exposure to uh, and church you know how we open up every single podcast and it doesn't change here at Compass. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast and even all of our guest preachers and their skills and their giftings from the Lord, all exist to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. And so that being said, uh, Chris, I'd love for you uh, what to explain a bit about what is the, the thrust of the purpose behind Christmas with Caesar, your teaching for this week. What's the, what's the main thrust uh, that we should be thinking about this week as we're getting ready for our life groups and just thinking rightly about uh, Caesar and Christ and that historical uh, and uh, geographical, archaeological uh, background? If I were to boil it down to a couple words, <clears throat> I'd say cultural context. And what I mean by that is if, if the Gospel of Luke— was written in the 21st century to Americans. Uh, it, let's say the time period from about 2000 to about now. 9-11 is going to come up. Mm. <laughs> Bush, Clinton maybe a little bit, Obama, uh, Trump, and Biden, mm. and the presidency of the United States is going to become a major part of a, a discussion of kingship, a discussion of who has real power, who mm -hmm. has empire. And so... If the gospel written now, all of the pieces of government and government power would certainly become part of that story. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is, of course, when we drive down our streets and pass a courthouse and see an American flag and see architecture that speaks to American administration, in some cases power, we're not even familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Like we, we know it. We know it so well, we don't even really necessarily think about it. And the same thing is true in in these stories. The, the power of Caesar and the administration that was established in the Roman world hit every part of their life to the level of you, if it's the coins in your pocket mm -hmm. or if it's the temple that you're going to or, I mean, literally in the temple, every day there's a prayer given to the for the emperor, mm. right? Which is actually one of the things when they revolt, they stop doing. So it's... My point is, in th this this message of Christmas with Caesar, I'd say from a bigger picture is to say, consider the cultural context in which it is written. But from a, a more direct point of view, think about how the character of Caesar plays a, an incredibly important role, starting in Luke 2.1, where we say in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And in Luke's Luke Acts, how Caesar plays a critical role throughout the whole story, mm -hmm. contrasted with who the real Son of God, Lord, Messiah is, and that's, of course, Jesus. Right. 
And I think to even bring it down further to the ground level of where you guys, as you're listening to this podcast, as you're thinking about, it's even the way that we study Scripture using the TAN method, right? Then, always, now. I mean, it's really looking at that then context of seeing what was going on uh, historically, geographically, what was going on in that time period politically, because it is going to teach a lot. It's going to teach us not only what the principles are, but how they were colored and how they how, how we can take what was happening then and help us understand the, the text, which is why when you were even preaching this and in teaching us, I, I thought so many places in Scripture where you see that uh, juxtaposition between Caesar and Christ, and there's a reason why you hear so many phrases throughout the Gospels of uh, appealing to not disrupting the political culture of the time, not creating riots because we don't want Caesar to get angry. And, and even a lot of those uh, sentences that if you really don't understand a little bit about the imperial cult worship there, you don't you don't understand the you understand okay that they didn't want him to do this, but why didn't they not want him to do this? Because he throughout the whole th- through the gospels you see he is he's, he's being compared to and showing how he is the uh, the Messiah, the one who they said Caesar was. And so, you know, even as you were teaching, I thought, wow, that, you see it everywhere if you will just kind of think about it rightly for the first time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and, and that's why, you know, when we talked about what to teach on in Chris, like on Christmas and Arca- there's a mm-hmm. million things. I mean, sure. we could have talked about how the manger is made from stone as opposed mm-hmm. to wood. Right. And, well, there's really no end, and there's no innkeeper. We could have talked right. about all that, but I'm like, what do I want to really be this this lasting thing? And I would even say it plays into how does the book of Luke Acts end mm-hmm. with with Paul going to Caesar? And we know, and the question is, you know, when when is that written? Mm-hmm. Is that written after Paul has been executed a couple mm-hmm. years later? Is that written after the destruction of the temple and after the Nero's killed, or mm-hmm. is it written just before? But whatever the case, the first readers of this. Mm-hmm. They know all that history, and right. they, it impacts them in really profound ways. And so I, I just think that it's so easy to do this far removed mm-hmm. from it. And I would even say if you go back to not just the early church, like those living in the first century, in the first century and beginning of the second century, but even the first writings we have of Eusebius and others, mm-hmm. they're so knowledgeable. Like to them, Augustus is George right. Washington. Right. Like I mean, they right. they know this story, mm-hmm. and they're comparing Jesus to Caesar. I mean, Constantine mm-hmm. is a Christian emperor. I mean, he's right. bringing those two worlds together, and so I just think it's um, it's hard living in the 21st century mm-hmm. to put ourselves into that into that world, but it's very effective, and, and I think very. Uh, and, and look, I think we're always telling the same story even if we're not talking about the Bible. Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation after after the message with, if you think of the, what we just talked about, of a rebellion, mm-hmm. let's say starting with a chosen one over against an emperor, well, that sounds a lot like the plot line of Star Wars, right. Lord of the Rings, right. Harry Potter. Yep, yep. So the three biggest IPs mm-hmm. are essentially, I love them, yeah. but they're rip-offs of this story right. of... of what true power is, yeah, and it's actually uh, the power that submits, and it's the power that is willing to take the hard road mm-hmm. that contrasts with the the Caesar, the right. Sauron, you know, uh, Voldemort, mm-hmm. um, uh, Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so it's I, I think 
the fact that our culture that's increasingly non-Christian still loves these stories mm-hmm. speaks to this type of story being imprinted on our heart. It's something right. we want to be true. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I, that's why I get excited. No, that's <laughs> cool. I love that. I thought one of the most compelling things that I heard when I was listening to the message was how you, you were you were getting close to wrapping it up, and then you were showing uh, Caesarea Philippi, and then you know Paul going from Crete to Malta all up into to Rome, and how you were tying together. Look, because if you're listening to this, understand, and maybe you've you've heard it a time or two here, but you got to remember that Luke and Acts are are one volume, even though we seem separated there in, in our in our New Testament. You know, Luke wrote both of them, and they're both meant to go together as he wrote them to Theophilus. And, and to understand that these go together, it helps you look at this picture of what Chris is saying of, you know, and I loved how you were talking about, look, this message from Rome is sent to uh, all the way to Jerusalem and to, to, to Bethlehem here in this little place in, in Nazareth, in that insignificant part of Rome. And then it ends with then that from Jesus's birth and that message gets it gets to Paul and then Paul takes it back to Rome and the, then really it's like God saying you know here's the message and take the message to Rome you know and I just thought dun 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 exactly. you know and it's like that's such a really cool compelling you know picture that if you don't I mean really if some of you are listening to this and you're like I didn't know Luke Acts were were together I mean even not understanding that historical development you could kind of miss that picture of you know, Rome sending a message all the way to Jerusalem and Jerusalem through God's re- superintending providence, sending it back to Rome. And then Paul literally ministering right there by the emperor for the year. The, what do you say? Two, it was two years, right? The two years that he was there mm-hmm. doing that right there beside Rome. I just thought that was like, that was the coolest thing. It's so, it's so fascinating. And uh, you know, another thing, I don't know if I brought it out that much in the service, but I, I'd say it here is where is the center Mm-hmm. Like geographically, which is the center from there's a famous uh, line, you know, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? And yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's a Greek. It's Greek culture. It's it's, you know, Athens being the center of the Greek world. But by the time of Jesus, Rome is the center of the world. Mm-hmm. And so Caesar can say from Rome to the ends of the earth, I tell you what to do. Right. Where Luke two turns it on its head and says, here's this baby who's born to be the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the savior of the world, who has a gospel that goes to the ends of the world. Mm-hmm. So the center is Jerusalem. Right. He makes the, the proclamation yep. on the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem to go to his ends of the earth. Right. And so Paul is going to the ends of the earth, which is actually the center right. of Caesar's world. Right. Um, so it's it's just a, Luke is brilliant. Yeah, uh, but oh, like, he, he grew up, he grew up, next to Troy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, he was hearing epics his whole life. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he grew up in the shadow of Achilles, let's mm-hmm. say, and that's where Paul picks him up. And, mm. you know, one of the fun things I would um, recommend readers who read Luke Acts, look for the we's and the R's. Once you start to get those, like, around Luke six or Acts 16, it's Luke's in the boat mm-hmm. with, with Paul. Right. He's, he's experiencing it. And so, I, I just like to even think about that from an author's perspective. Like, how is he being moved mm-hmm. by these things and how he's trying to craft? And I'm not trying. I, I think a lot of times when I talk about that way, people think I'm, I'm denying or somehow avoiding, like, inspiration. I'm, right. I'm not. What I'm saying is is that it has such literary mm-hmm. power 
because it's pulling from things that people knew and saw mm-hmm. and were moved by. Absolutely. But it's changing it. So right. it's really interesting. Well, and that's even that idea about inspiration, right? It, it was the Holy Spirit was, as we like the word superintendent, through the personalities of the, of the biblical authors. And so, you know, it does matter. You know, the writer does matter uh, in their personality and their writing style, which you see. And uh, Luke does just a one. He does do a wonderful job. As you read his gospel, uh, and the, the and Acts, it's, it is he does a wonderful job being his own person, but obviously being superintended by the Holy Spirit to do that. If there is uh, maybe one thing that you're thinking, man, you know, I wish maybe I could have got into this, but I didn't have time. Well, what would be something that from uh, the message that you thought, ah, this would be interesting if I had more time. Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I mean, thanks. I always like to talk about more stuff, you know, that relate <laughs> to it. So uh, a related piece, let's say. One of the things that I think is is so powerful to me about studying the New Testament is its relationship to the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there are three moments in history where you have similar things that happened in the whole Bible as we know it. It's the Exodus. It's the moment in time when Jerusalem was about to be destroyed by Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And it's this moment that we've been talking about. And so uh, if you think about the Exodus, Pharaoh comes before the ruler of the world, Mm -hmm. Pharaoh, who has gods on his side, and he himself is a god. And he comes into his court and he says, let my people go. That's what, that's what Yahweh says. And Pharaoh's like, who's Yahweh? Never heard of the dude. Mm-hmm. And the whole part of that is, okay, now you know who he is. Mm-hmm. The plagues, Exodus twelve twelve says, right. Yahweh cast judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And of course, the crossing of the Red Sea. And I love this line in, in Exodus 4 where it says, if, Yahweh says to Moses, if, um, Israel's my firstborn son, and if Pharaoh won't let my firstborn son go, I'm going to kill his firstborn right, son, and, right. and he does. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and and so, when you get to the Red Sea, the result is the dead bodies of the mm-hmm. chariots of of Pharaoh, and so it becomes theological, spiritual, and political, mm-hmm. and it becomes this. Okay, Yahweh is now king among us. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be an ark. There's going to be a tabernacle. And that, so it combines those two. The same thing I say in the second category is with, in in about 701 BC, Mm -hmm. you have the same thing happening when the Assyrian king Sennacherib comes, Jerusalem surrounded, many cities are being destroyed. And just like Pharaoh, I'm the king of the world. Pharaoh would say, you know, I have my outstretched right arm. Mm -hmm. And Yahweh says, no, my arm is stronger and Mm -hmm. I destroyed you. Same thing happens in the days of Isaiah, which is the same time where we have mm-hmm. the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. These right. prophecies yep. come uh, from the era of mm-hmm. imperial danger. And Hezekiah goes into the temple. He's toast. Mm-hmm. Like his kingdom is just absolutely ravaged. He goes before the Ark of the Covenant and prays and says, you know, I can't do anything. Like, what will you do for us? And the commanders of Sennacherib at the gates like, Hezekiah is going to tell you your God will save you. You can't. None of the gods of mm-hmm. all the other nations have saved you. Who's this guy? Right. Who's, who's Yahweh? And that Isaiah comes and says, he will be destroyed. He's not going to cast an arrow here, not cast mm-hmm. a mound. And the angel of the Lord comes and destroys mm. his, 
his kingdom, his his armies, Sennacherib. So if we if we if we see Pharaoh, the ruler who Moses uh, and God destroyed and it establishes a political kingdom, if we see the danger of the, the king of the world, the Assyrians, who w- were saved from total destruction, uh, Hezekiah and the, and the Judeans who lived there, we see the same thing with Caesar. Mm. But the salvation is both in the same way theological and spiritual but the political side that's where it's like how do we how do we live because mm-hmm. now right I mean, like jesus has conquered death mm. right he has beat caesar in some way mm-hmm. and yet just as the disciples were sitting there on the mount of olives saying okay now what right you know, refreshing time where, where is this victory i mean they're looking at the city that was saved mm-hmm. by the angel of the lord <laughs> by snacker right. what do we do now and so i think if we see that there's this common thread that wh- whoever the political power is of the world that Yahweh or in the case of the New Testament his persona you know, Jesus mm-hmm. the second person of the Trinity they're going to take that propaganda mm-hmm. and the polemic or the, the propaganda of that and the iconography the mm-hmm. symbols who are there they're going to turn it on its head and say no mm-hmm. I'm the real power right but when you get to the New Testament it's like oh, you're still living in it right. you're still living in as a rebel mm-hmm. who's not called to actually overthrow Caesar right. in political power, mm-hmm. but you kind of are mm-hmm. <laughs> right. because yeah. you're doing it slowly through their hearts. Right. And so I just think it's helpful to see that this is not a new way mm-hmm. that the spirit is, y- is, is using the message of power mm-hmm. by turning it on its head. Right. Well, you even see that in, in eschatological, you know, future promises that Christ is going to come. He's going to rule and reign on the throne of David, and he's going to, like we always say, make all the bad things good. He's going to make all the wrong things right, right? I mean, yeah. and he's going to come, and he's going to rule and reign physically on earth for a millennium. And so the, even that idea, I mean, there it is again, right? He's going to take uh, he's going to take Babylon. He's going to take the, the nations of the world. He's going to thwart them, and he's going to reign. So I mean, even that idea of us, you may, maybe you're listening to this, and you're thinking, well, okay, I get, you know, I get you know, the Pharaoh, I get Sennacherib, I get Caesar, but what does that got to do with us now? We're, we're awaiting on the culmination of all of that happening again in its most full uh, sense of the, of the motif and of the idea that we see already throughout Scripture. I, I totally agree, and I think what's helpful about thinking about the, the mold mm-hmm. that, that Jesus or, in the case of the Old Testament, you know, Yahweh's smashing is— that we need an image, like we need something mm-hmm. to compare and contrast. And I would say for those of you who are, you know, just like what you just said, thinking about the end times, to me, I get excited about a single moment, mm-hmm. like a single moment that we have glimpses of in Zechariah 14, for instance, or my favorite passage in the Bible, Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 11, which says, behold, I saw a white horse and the one who sits mm-hmm. on it is righteous and true and in righteousness makes war and a sword comes out of his mouth. I, I think when we think about the second coming, we, to me at least as, uh, as someone who longs for that day in, in a particular way, um, the salvation of the city with this warrior king finally coming. In mm. the, and if, if you start to think about, again, to use modern pop culture, what are the greatest moments of every one of those series I just talked about. Think about the moment where Aragorn marks 
marches on the black gate mm-hmm. think about you know the riders of rohan you know think about these moments or harry potter standing mm-hmm. it's it's those moments that all those billion dollar right <laughs> ip are, are mm-hmm. wanting you to say like goosebumps this is that moment and we have that moment yeah that is a moment that we are awaiting mm-hmm. uh for that to happen and so i'd say you know the study of that is is really I think clear, you know, it's in the Bible, Zechariah 14, Revelation 19, and gearing it around not just towards, you know, we're going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's no totally. pain. Right. There's right. No, t- no, it's a moment of grandness. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even when we sing songs, visualizing that moment in, in, a, in a powerful way, I think it's helpful to just try to direct our worship mm-hmm. and our expectation. Right. I, th- I think it's just really good to think, you know, I always try to help our people you know, bring things to today into the future. Because I always want to think, okay, what does this have to do with today? And then what does this have to do with uh, the blessed hope that we have, the, re- the return of resurrection of the saints, return of Christ, the rule in his reign. And I just think as you think about, you know, even your, uh, your stripe of, of study, the disciplines you're in of thinking about archaeology and, and scholarship, it's, it, we're showing, hey, this isn't, we didn't make this up, right? It's, uh, this didn't just come out of thin air or even if we think of Christ, it, it didn't start, you know, 4 B.C., or it didn't start right there around the turn of the, the first century. This is, again, the repetition of what you see God doing throughout, you know, all of history, even this idea that we, when we look at the Bible through a dispensational lens of the church, the ages in which God dealt with people a certain way, you see a lot of similarities in all of those you know, different dispensations, those periods that we're still seeing we saw when Christ came, we're going to see again. And I think when we, when even as we're talking about, you know, archaeology and as we're thinking about the, uh, the proof and some empirical and tangible things that we have that shows that the, the, the things that were happening with Caesar and Christ, it's like I- it really grows my confidence that God is still acting consistent with his character, consistent with how he's always been, just in its different iterations for the for, for Gentiles and again for Israel. Like when you think of even the coming of Christ and when Israel's eyes will be opened because they're going to be like, oh, okay, you know, the Caesar, the, you know, he, he, the Messiah is going to be that that trump of Caesar, right? He's going to mm-hmm. trump him, which is funny. <laughs> pun even in, yeah, pun intended, <laughs> right? And it's like you see all of this kind of, for all of us, even me, I don't have a lot of, knowledge of archaeology and, and even the biblical you know backgrounds of of, arch- of where you're at but it's like you can just as soon as you start talking about it anybody with a little bit of biblical knowledge is going to start coloring that in they're going to say whoa you know this stuff goes it's cool this stuff connects you know and you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist because it just does that's how god works and yeah i, I just loved having you here and, and working uh with us on that I, I would just add to to that that the way I talked about Christ or Christmas with Caesar, hmm. anyone who is a scholar, as even a secular person who reads Luke Acts in a way that is trying to approach it from just it as literature, mm-hmm. that has to be the conclusion. Mm. Like that, like if they're looking at it, the Roman world, like you don't have to believe that it's true. Right. I, I do. Right. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but you don't have to believe it. It happened or that, you know, that <coughs> Christianity is true to see that it is inherently polemical. Mm-hmm. It's trying to turn Caesar on its head. Right. But as Christians, as people that believe this stuff, mm-hmm. we get to know this is amazing literature, mm-hmm. 
but it also happened. I mean, right. this is whole C.S. Lewis's whole thing. He loved mythology. Mm-hmm. He he just was drawn to Norse mythology, mm-hmm. but it's it's just a a, a pretty lie. Mm-hmm. But when he learned that no, it's Christianity is the one of those things that were to actually happen. Mm. It's the true myth, and so I think that by seeing not just the the context of you know coins and and temples and all these things that we can touch and feel mm-hmm. and see and, and and excavate but but the larger literary agendas and ideas that are just there mm. and, and I, so in some ways i'm not saying anything controversial right absolutely it's just bringing to the table ideas that are that are out there mm-hmm. in new testament scholarship and saying this is how it can just invigorate right. you know the way we really think about it and put it in a framework mm-hmm. I, I think too often we like focus on you know this paragraph mm-hmm. or this verse and right. and that's good i mean like you need mm-hmm. to go de- you need to go deep but just to have that skeleton and, right. and to me as a as someone who started to go to israel when i was a teenager the the idea of, of the land and the history of like what actually happens in these mm-hmm. events those just become this constant skeleton of information mm-hmm. that you can come back to and plug in Exodus, oh, yeah. plug in Luke Acts, plug in, and then see these themes. So, I, I, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of, of the study because it's it's so fun, mm-hmm. but I found it to be also really life-giving when you think about what the Bible actually is mm-hmm. and its impact upon not only the world, but, you know, how you can use these texts in, in ways that are, are very uh, applicable to our mm-hmm. lives now. No, I love that. Uh so talk to us, we have some resources that you gave us, uh, and, and maybe even as you talk to us, you know, I had a couple people say, hey, I want to learn more about the backgrounds and, you know, uh, the Bible backgrounds of geography, biblical geography. You know, what are some, two things, what are some good resources for them? And if they want to learn more about you and your ministry, how can they do that as well? Yeah, so I, I'd highly recommend there's um, an archaeological study Bible put out. It's called the ESV Archaeological Study Bible. It came out a couple of years ago. It um, You can get it in hardback. In fact, I, I use it very regularly, but you can also get it digitally. It has great information that is geared towards um, a lay audience. So let's say you were reading through Luke, and you don't know what Caesar <laughs> is being talked about right. here. There's all kinds of notes in there that are going to tell you about who Caesar Tiberius mm. is, what the denarius was, <coughs> and, and all the way through the biblical text to provide this necessary. But ba- I think that's a great starting point mm-hmm. to uh, to start with. Um, I also have a, a, a podcast that's called the, the Biblical World Podcast. It is um, usually about an hour long. We try to put out one every other week. Depends on, you know, lots of things. Right where we are um, academics, but we're trying to do much the same thing. Talk about topics that are bridging the divide. (coughs) Sorry. Bridging the divide between the academic world Mm -hmm. and people that are interested in this stuff. So that's one. Another thing that um, for my my day job, I work for a company called Gesher Media. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gesher Media is a company that is doing exactly what I just described. Its name means bridge. That's what Gesher is mm-hmm. in Hebrew. And we're trying to take the stuff that we're all fascinated by, archaeology, history, culture, background, and take it from the, uh, the academic world um, and bridge the gap 
to mm-hmm. a, a lay audience where we're bringing exactly the kinds of things I, I did today. Christmas with Caesar, mm-hmm. but not just that. It's okay, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Um, what is um, what is the, the, the contemporary meaning, let's say, of the Mark of the Beast? Mm-hmm. Like, what did it mean then? Right. Actually, it's Nero. Yeah. It's what is it? I mean, name six, six it's there Nero. Yeah, Caesar, Caesar yeah. Nero. So there's all kinds of things that we're, we're trying to bring out there. So we have, um, our, the company's called Gesher Media. We have a documentary that we'll release next year called Quest for the Throne of God. Hmm. It's about the story of the Ark of the Covenant and being God's throne. But we also um, regularly will have um, on our YouTube channel and TikTok, Instagram, shorter videos that deal with a variety of aspects mm. related to the Bible. Last year, I spent a couple months in Israel and produced shorter videos of on-site locations where we're you know, at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre mm-hmm. or at you know, different archaeological sites. But all of this is... Its goal is to get people interested in this world, and so it's not just a matter of like regurgitating the information. Mm-hmm. Our our goal is to really be entertaining, mm-hmm. <laughs> and what we call epic academia, uh, <laughs> which is to take these you know epic stories, these epic events, mm-hmm. see what scholarship has said about them, and then set them in an entertaining way of how people can access these stories which have changed the world right. you know, our, our, our stories which we have in the bible so those would be the the, the two uh that i would recommend something that's not ours directly the esv archaeological study bible but kind of the host of resources um that we're putting out and you can probably put the link maybe in the description yep, or something absolutely yeah, yeah. Well, I, we appreciate the time that you've given us, uh, not only in this podcast, but here at our church serving us so well um, this week. We're really uh, grateful for our friendship and looking forward to see how God's going to use you and Gesture Media to uh, help bring to life some of the things that you were talking to us about today. All right, church, a uh, couple of announcements as we uh, as, as we get ready to embark on this next month of uh of work when it comes to ministry and gospel advancement. We want to point you to our Christmas at Compass events. We had our Women's Christmas Coffee, which was such a wonderful uh, success and and benefit for our church and those who were there to hear the gospel proclaimed. And uh, we want to point your attention to next Sunday, which is our Christmas celebration. We want to remind you, take some flyers, invite people uh, to come hear the gospel proclaimed, and we want to call them to respond to the grace of God, and we want you to partner with us as a part of our church family to see people saved this Christmas season, because that's what the Christmas season's all about, the incarnation of Christ who come to save us from our sins, and so we want you to be a part of what God is doing at our church and in the world for the advancement of, of the gospel. Uh, we also want to point your attention to our serve team celebration on December the 18th. If you served with us, we want to celebrate what God's done through the service of his saints this year. And we want to invite you December 18th at 6 p.m. to uh, come to the Civic Center downtown uh, as we celebrate, as we play games. Just have a great time. Here are some updates and some uh, a look back and a look forward uh, for me as we, we think about what God would have us to do in 2024. We already have over 220 registered for that, so make sure that you uh, register if you haven't already for that. And then one of the last things I want to bring your attention to is our Next Steps project that we just announced uh, today of this uh, this endeavor and this project we're going to embark on to finish uh, the renovation of the West Warehouse that we affectionately call the Pavilion we are going to raise $150,000 to finish the work that we have started in there 
to give our kids and students and family ministries a uh, a permanent place to uh, to gather and to do their ministries here at our church, as well as a multi-purpose space for us to have many events that will not be determined upon climate or weather, but that'll be utilized for a 24-7 ministry space for our church. And so we just want to remind you a couple things. You need to be praying uh, for uh, God to give us all the things that we need, means, the finances. We want to pray that we would use that, that God would enlarge our space for uh, more reaching, teaching, and training. We need to pray for wisdom for myself and our build team as we continue the process of planning uh, and the construction to come. And then pray for favor with the city and our subcontractors as we begin embarking on the steps necessary to uh, to fulfill the Next Steps project. And as, as you're thinking about giving, guys, I want you to r- remind you of two things. One, the ways to give. You can give online. You can give on through a check or money using uh, our em- giving envelopes in our auditorium or found in our church offices if you're here during the week. Uh, and those are the ways you can give. But the other thing I want to remind you of is to make sure that your giving is over and above what you regularly give. You know, as a church plant, we got to make sure that we keep our budget so mom and dad didn't have to come down here and, you know, get us out of a bind. We want to make sure that we are taking care of the ministries and the facilities that are given to us financially. And so make sure that you don't just give what you're giving to the general fund to the Next Steps Project, because that would actually be uh, counterproductive. We want to make sure that we're good stewards of what we have. So be sure that if you want to give to the Next Steps Project, which we're just asking you to give. We're not forcing anyone to give to this. This is just if you feel God leading you to give, that you would over and above your regular giving, that you would offer this as as a way for us as a church to take our next steps together. If you have questions about that, definitely uh, get in contact with me, and I'd love to talk to you more about what we think God's going to do through the Next Steps Project and us going forward as a church. That being said, church, like I say every week, I love you guys. I'm thankful for you, and I look forward to joining you again next week.